Hello, I'm Tara Ruckman. And I'm Stephanie Howe, and we are Control the Chaos EDU. Are you burnt out? Are you feeling frustrated or overwhelmed? Or maybe it's the opposite, and you're a go-getter and want to level up. Then it's time to dive in with real talk and solution-focused conversations. Hello, and welcome to today's Control the Chaos Conversation. I'm looking forward to this episode. I'm really excited about today. So just thinking about motivation, I had last night, um, every year, this time of year, it's Halloween, and our kids are trick-or-treating. Mine are a little bit older now, so it's not quite the same. They're not out doing the same thing. But I was reminded as I had, I I had six bags of candy last night and I ran out because I gave so much candy away. But it just reminded me and brought me back to this competition that my kids have every year on Halloween. Who could get the most candy? It was like a whole big process, right? We'd go out, we would have dinner, we would, they would run. My boys would literally run from house to house because they were competing for the most candy. And then they would get home, everybody would dump their candy out on the floor. We'd have big circles, like you could see them like wrapping their their arms, if you can imagine, like, like hoarding their candy They would count it to see who had the most. And of course, that was a competition. So that's why we ran from house to house at Trick or Treat. There was no walking involved. I could never keep up. So at some point, I stopped going because they just ran. Um, And then once they finished, then they would start trading candy. So the whole competition was to get the most candy, but then you have the more candy to trade for the things that you liked. So anyway, the point is, is competition absolutely motivates kids. So we're going to talk a little bit about competition today. But first, before we get into the competition, again, I want to say thank you to everyone um, for their support. We continue to get people posting on social media, sending pictures um, of them reading the book and getting some great feedback. So I can't thank you guys enough. I've been thanking you guys for multiple episodes, but just really overwhelmed by the support. Um, we have our first executive functioning workshop that is four hours excited about that. So we are just doing a lot of good work with executive functioning. So it's really making a difference within the classrooms. But now, sorry, sidetracked by the thank yous because I'm so grateful. We are going to talk about four motivational myths. Um, before we get into competition. Steph, do you want to start with number one? Yeah. So the first one, I kind of think of um, athletes or coaches or teachers. And I kind of hear that sometimes they think that a student has a lack of motivation, right? Like we have students that are so driven and then we have students that might have a lack of motivation. But um, science is kind of showing us that it goes back to the home 
So where students are kind of brought up and that to me is kind of interesting. Not that you don't like know that, but when you're like brought up to that fact again, I think you're just like, oh yeah, like the home does play a huge role in motivation. And um, I think sometimes as teachers, it feels like we have to control so many different things, but there are certain things that we, we just can't control. <laughs> um, and But we still got to work with those students and build that relationship and different opportunities for them to feel safe in our classroom to where they can start getting that motivational um, attitude. Yeah, 100%. I feel like I remember saying before, you either have it or you don't, right? Like mm -hmm. I, as an athlete, remember saying that about another athlete. Um, well, you know, they were just born with it. Like you just either got it or you don't got it to be quite blunt. Um, but that it is, science has shown, like Steph said, there is this set of neurochemical networks that develop over a span of time as results of what experience, like the caring relationships and opportunities for exploring that have developed in our children and their systems. And some are really good experiences and some are not so good experience. So you will notice that like our students with trauma that may have had some of those negative experiences might not have as much motivation to complete the work. Um, but you it's not in every kid, but it is in many of our kids that maybe that they have a different environment, they may have less motivation. So that's number one. Uh, you're not born with it, right? It is developed. So number two, so we often think about um, balance, right? Like how can we balance curriculum? We can balance, you know, positive reinforcement in our class. Like all the things that we juggle where, you know, I'd hate to say this, but sometimes teachers are clowns. We have all these balls and we're like in a circus and we're juggling and trying to keep all these balls up in the air um, because we have so many irons in the fire. So we're the clowns of the circus juggling the whole act, right? But of course, we're like the funny ones as well. That means if we're the clowns, right? We're the ones that bring the engagement to the circus and we kind of support. And if you ever notice the clowns coming in and out of the circus, the whole, the whole entire circus, right? Like they're in and out and they do these little skits and they're making sure people are laughing and staying engaged. So that balance piece, um, us as teachers, we have to find the right balance between the rewards and the motivating activities such as like problem solving or games or gamifying or playful learning, all of those things um, are part of creating that motivation and supporting those internal drivers and the external drivers. Because we know that just the carrots, just the, like if you have one, you know, if you have just like one type of reinforcement, 
there, that's not going to sustain the motivation. If you're trying to juggle, you have to keep all of those things up in the air. So it's finding the right balance so that you can juggle all those balls to keep um, that internal and that external feedback going. Yeah. And I love what you said there about problem solving and playful learning, because when I think back and I think about different times I've gone into the classroom to coach or use these strategies of gamification or game-based learning or design thinking type activities, that is when I see the most motivation in a lesson. Mm -hmm. Students are just naturally engaged with that problem solving. Um, they love thinking out loud, like the other day, yesterday, I guess, or um, I guess if you're listening at a later time, we did a game where we're around Halloween um, and we did don't get ghosted. <laughs> and the kids had, it's kind of like mafia. They have cards and we put out some ghosts and then we put out some just normal people and then a detective and the detective, everybody can trust that person. But that's about the only person you can trust because you don't know who the ghosts are. And um, it was crazy because just adding that one feature to the game of a ghost where they're trying to get everybody to guess incorrectly made the other students think more critically. They were all engaged. They were all working. They were all communicating in a polite way like, I don't know if I can trust you. You might be a go, you know, and all of these different questions. And then we threw a twist in at around three and one of the principals came in and he was the ghost and kids just naturally think they can trust adults. <laughs> and so he was telling them the wrong answer and they went with it. And I was like, is it because they think he, you know, he's an adult and why did I didn't throw a twist in there? Uh, so that was really funny, but the kids were also engaged in the activity and what I also find interesting is when you do these activities, what I notice is usually the high group, your high achieving students struggle the most. And it's your students that are on a disability find the most success at these activities, um, which I just think is interesting because whenever I do an activity like this, it always shocks the teacher. Like we'll do a breakout room or escape room and it's always that that group that might be your inclusion group or those students on IEPs that actually problem solve better than your high achieving group. Um, and I just think that's exciting to see because those students feel accomplished. They feel um, excited to learn. And we have to add more of that into our learning. Yeah. And that just kind of leads us into our number four Um motivation is complicated and has so many influences. So experiences and conditions kind of shape your ability to go into the, achieve a goal, right? If you don't have, like you're talking about engaging students, if they have not had like that mindset or condition within that game that you're talking about where they have felt success before they're not going to be as motivated to play even play the game right so we want to create these successful 
experiences for them so that it helps shape the mindset that they're able to achieve the goal. They're able to win. They're able to have their, use their skills and their resources and their research ability to have some type of successful interaction. So it's really not enough to say like, I want it so badly that it's going to happen, right? Um, because we can't will something to happen, but we can use our resources, times and skills and supports to make you know, the overall goal, being motivated to accomplish it. So that goal achievement is huge. So it is complicated and it does have many influences. It's, it is, behavior is shaped by those experiences and that mindset of wanting to choose um, the goal. So that, again, that number four is like, no, it's not that you want it badly enough. We would, I wish, right, that we could just say, I want it so bad that it's going to happen. But it's all of those complicated factors and influences that shape the mindset for a student that is willing to go that extra mile to achieve the goal. Yeah. And I think with that one, also, if you are using game-based learning, you always want students to think that they could win. So you never want to have a game where they are at zero points or they already got their three strikes and they're out type of game. Like you always want it to be like, you could always steal points. You could always uh, roll a dice and get a bonus, or you could get a power up that does something. And you're all of a sudden back in the lead of the leaderboard um, is really important for motivation too, because then students don't feel like, oh, I'm at zero points. I can't get up to a thousand points. Like there's just no way. And then you have that group that is out and they cause behaviors because they think there's no way I can achieve that. And so what I tell teachers is these are the rules. But when I play games, you got to be flexible. <laughs> you got to be able to just throw in another role or another power up or another um, way for students to steal points, whatever it is. So that way they keep that motivation up. That way they keep feeling successful and they feel like, oh, they could steal that point. And so they're going to keep trying. They're going to be motivated to keep going. But if you don't add in those different things and the team is down a lot of points, you're going to see more behaviors in that group. And so that is just kind of a reminder to be flexible and to just throw in a dice, throw in a card that says they can swap points with another team, um, throw in all of these different things that could happen to where students do feel that success and they're, they feel like they could still win. Video games do a really good job with that. That's why students are so addicted and want to keep playing. Um, so it's really important to keep thinking about, okay, how do I make it so any team could win at any point of this game? Like if they flip a card, if they do a dice roll, how, how do I do that? So there is a little bit of luck in there um, to where they think they, they just can't automatically lose based on content questions or answering so many questions correctly. Um, because when that happens, I've seen students give up and then you feel like this game wasn't worth it. <laughs> so always keep that flexibility in there, which is number five, um, which is just keeping things fresh. Um, I think sometimes students 
get in the same routine after day after day. They come in, they do their bell work, they sit down, they do this. Um, and what I loved yesterday is one of our teachers, she sent out a talking points message to her families and just told the parents to slip a flashlight into their book bag. Don't tell the students, just put a flashlight in there. And she turned off the lights and the kids could use their flashlight the whole class period. Something completely little <laughs> that parents just had to put a flashlight in that child's bag and the lights were off and, and that was the only difference in that classroom, but it was keeping things fresh. Um, so how can you do those little things that are just getting students excited to come to school? It's not predictable. And they just are kind of motivated because they never know what is going to happen next. I think that's a huge importance when we're talking about um, sustaining motivation over a span of time. Predictable reward is just predictable. Anything is just not enough to sustain motivation over a period of time. So if I have fun Friday and every single fun Friday, I'm doing the same thing over time, fun Friday is probably going to lose its luster, right? We're not going to consistently be motivated by fun Friday anymore if we do the same thing over and over and over again. So when we experience something that is unpredictable, the brain actually then releases a higher level of dopamine, which then increases our motivation because they have that higher level of dopamine in their system. So once that reward is, is expected all the time and it hasn't had something fresh, then we see that the motivation go down. So what, what can you throw in that's predictable or unpredictable? What, what is it? Is it your classroom management system? Do you change up what your system is? Do you change up your reward? Do you change up your fun Friday activities? Do you change up, I don't know, like, you know, I'm doing iReady every single day and all of a sudden, I just give them a break out of nowhere and put some kind of fun game in. I think just that level of unpredictability will increase that motivation. I shouldn't say I think because I often get on people because I say think. I say I, facts. Just give me the facts. Don't tell me what you think. Um, but it is scientific that unpredictability increases the amount of dopamine that is in your system, which then increases your motivation. So that is the last one. We debunked the myths, I think. Did we get them all? I think so. So now we can talk about competition. <laughs> and just to provide you some ideas of how you could add competition into your lesson plan pretty easily. So first, you want to think of a game, right? So you want to use, I tell teachers, if you have task cards or if you have questions in Quizlet, Quizzes, Kahoot, wherever, those online platforms, even like a test type of game, you just need questions. 
Um, so that is kind of step one is to just collect your questions for a game. And then when you have those task cards or um, questions ready to go, you want to add some excitement into your game. So you want to think about the score. And I think for scoring, it can be points. So students get so many points out of whatever, or maybe they draw a card or something to get points. You can also do like X's where students can erase X's from the board or they can steal X's or cones. Um, so think about the way that you want students to score. Any other ideas that you have on scoring when it comes to games, Tara? Um, well, I have this game that I love and it's not necessarily scoring, but it is, um, we had castles that we had to bomb and it was so much fun because the, the team that got the question correct would then get to use their bomb to bomb the, bring down the castle of the other team. But if they got the question wrong, then the bomb landed on their own castle. So it was the first person or first team um, to use their bombs, all their bombs and blow up somebody's castle. So it wasn't necessarily points, but you could have done it. You could have done, you could have switched it around and did it with five points, like the first team to get to five points. But this was like the first team to get to five bombs was actually the loser. So we did the negative piece of the point, like the type of point system. So the more you had, right, um, the worse off you were. So you can use that in the point scheme as well. We did it with bombs. Like the first castle that got five bombs was the one to blow up and they were the losers. So nobody wanted to get the bombs. So using that reverse thinking and changing that point system up instead of always having the pe people with the most points win, we have sometimes the people with the least amount of points win. Or you um, could also do a spinning wheel where you could land on the amount of points that you get. And in that wheel, sometimes you could have negative points. So you could have some taken away. So now you have to get back um, additional points. So that's a way to do it as well. Instead of giving like a consistent amount of points every time, you spin a wheel and it just goes to whatever point. So you could get bonus points. Um, you could get negative points. You could give somebody points. You could get, they could give you points. So using kind of an unpredictable amount of points is also a fun strategy and also could keep a game going longer as well when you throw in some of those negatives because sometimes we burn through some of these games pretty quickly like if we have five or ten points but when you throw in some of those other unpredictability with your point system then it it may keep the game going a little bit longer yeah and so again it doesn't have to just be points it could be random points it could be luck <laughs> that does not <laughs> Um, you could, again, use X's, bombs, all those kinds of things. And then the last kind of piece when you are creating that competition you want to think about is um, what add-ons can you add to the game? So, for example, we did a classic um, quizzes and we also did a classic, um, what was the other game? Gemket. 
Okay, so these two games, kids have already played, probably overplayed, right? And so all we did was add a balloon to the game. <laughs> and the kids, make sure there's no latex allergies, but they blew up the balloon, they tied their balloon, and then they had to write, one partner had to write on the balloon, and one partner had to answer on the computer. And just adding a balloon added some little bit of more excitement, and they couldn't pop their balloon. And then what was really fun is if the team scored lower than a, 70% on one of the attests, we got to pop the balloon. And I had a lot of enjoyment out of that. <laughs> it was like a stress relief where I just got to pop those balloons. Um, but the kids were just having so much fun with it. So that's one way you could use a deck of cards as points. Or if they get a heart, that means that they get an extra life. If they get a diamond, they get to do something to another team. Like there's so many different ways that you could use cards. Um, they could spin a dice or, or roll a dice or spin a wheel, and maybe that's how many points they get, or the numbers mean something. So if you roll a six, that means that you have to do this. You can steal a player, or you can um, go over and get an answer or whatever. You can use Google to help you with that answer. And then using those power-up cards. So I just ask kids, they're pretty familiar with power-ups. And I just ask them like, okay, what power-ups do you wanna do? And I just make a list. And usually it's like, turn off the computer. Like they think that's hilarious when a student has to power down their computer mid-game. Um, steal a player. They might have to, um, they might get additional points. Another team's in the penalty box for a minute. So all of these different ideas, you can involve your students and just ask them for feedback. And I usually just ask them, what power-ups would you like to see in the next game if we were to do this again or um, right before the game starts? And I just quickly make those cards. You can also just put questions in eggs and students go crazy. <laughs> you just have to put them in the middle and there's all these eggs and it's kind of like a scavenger hunt. You could even do that where you hide the eggs. Um, and then you could add points into those eggs if you wanted to. Using timers and music can really help. Um, so again, using game, games can really help, adding that competition, but always have where students can always seem to win uh, with a little bit of luck. <laughs> and if all else fails, get your Monopoly game out because they're like, Monopoly is like the king of cards, right? You have a chance to inherit $100. You have to pay a fee for $50 because you can convert this to points. Go straight to jail. Advance to the token boardwalk. So, like, there's so many ideas. I know that's kind of random. But if you really think about Monopoly, and Monopoly has been around for how many years? I mean, I'm sure it was around before I was born. But there's so many cards that you can almost model with changing the words from Monopoly um, and how many people love Monopoly, right? So it's that game of chance, um, creating community cards, creating chance cards, creating, you know, cards for the, that you earn points, cards that you have to pay up. So there's some great ideas in Monopoly if, if you're kind of like feeling a little bit uncreative and you want to get some ideas, head to, head to Monopoly or create your own Monopoly game with 
educational pieces that you're moving around. So that's lots of fun as well. Yeah. So definitely play some games this week. That's your call to action. And just start thinking, how could you apply that game into your classroom um, to motivate students and to steal some of those roles or to steal some of those pieces of the game? And it's okay to midway just say, okay, the rules change. Uh, because that improves students' executive functioning when it comes to flexibility. And, and then unpredictability. And so then you've got more going on. So never be afraid that you have to follow the rules exactly um, because you don't have to. And so, again, thank you so much for listening. And we can't wait to hear what board game or what game you played this week to kind of add some sparkle into your lessons, as CJ Reynolds would say. So until next time, make sure you control the chaos. And again, thank you so much for all your support and listening. Thanks for listening to Control the Chaos EDU. Check out the description for show notes. We look forward to connecting with you on social media. Subscribe to the weekly podcast so you never miss an episode. Control the chaos until next time.